Part three, it takes a plan. As Solage and I entered the stadium in Glendale, Arizona, hours before Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl game against the New England Patriots, I was relaxed. Russell Wilson's level of preparation creates feeling. He owns his career. Seattle wasn't my team, but the Seahawks quarterback is my guy. He was ready. How do I know? I helped him put together his mental plan for the Super Bowl. Russell's agent, Mark Rogers, who has spent most of his career working with baseball players, had secured former client Mike Hampton's house in Paradise Valley as a place for Russell to get ready. In 2001, Hampton signed an eight-year, $121 million contract with the Colorado Rockies. That kind of money can buy a palace in the desert. On the night before the Super Bowl, I joined Russell, Mark, and Russell's brother, Harrison, there to help Russell prepare his mind for the challenge ahead. It takes a plan to achieve anything of value. When you plan, you identify an end goal and then chart out neutral behaviors that can help you reach that goal. That may sound very overly simplistic, but a lot, a lot of people say, I want to do this without thinking about the behaviors and benchmarks required to reach the goal. Choosing not to plan is actually a plan around not planning. I don't recommend that. You wouldn't drive to a place you've never been without first checking a map or plugging in the address into Waze or Google, would you? And what is a set of directions if not a plan? For any big project you take on, you need to map out your route. You need to make a plan. For something huge like the Super Bowl, Russell made multiple plans. He had the game plan, the specific set of plays the Seahawks had practiced to use against the Patriots. He and his teammates had spent two weeks building that plan. He also had a mental plan. That's where I came in. I wasn't there to tell him what to check to when the Pats showed cover two. My job was to make sure he entered the game in the proper headspace. Mark's idea had been to bring Seattle to Arizona, and part of Russell's pregame routine at home was to meet with me three nights before each game. Because of the scheduling quirks of Super Bowl week, we had to do it the night before the game. When planning, we start very simple. We identify the goal. In this case, the goal was obvious. Russell wanted to play well and help his team win the Super Bowl. The next part is where it gets a little tricky. This may require some trial and error as you set goals in your life because you'll need to know yourself well enough to know which method works best for you. In my experience, working with elite athletes, the ones who haven't experienced great success, tend to want to know what they must do to reach their goals. The more self-confident athletes want to discuss the factors that could keep them from reaching their goals. They don't mind objectively examining the barriers to success. Russell is in the second group, so he can handle both methods. We started by giving Russell examples of the times he had been at his most commanding. We moved to the mansion's home theater to review a series of situational videos set to film scores, which shook the room thanks to the surround sound. Russ sat front and center. As he watched, he allowed himself to relive incredible moments where he'd been at his best. I had soundtracked part of the video with the head and the hearts down in the valley. A song from an indie folk band might sound wimpy for a badass QB prepping for the Super Bowl, but everything has a purpose. The lyrics tell a story. The sentence, these are the places I will always go, is repeated four times. I wanted Russell to see these moments and hear those words and realize he's at home in those big moments. 
In other parts of the videos, he could hear the words he used and watch the body language he exhibited as he navigated those situations. Beating mighty Florida State in Raleigh while playing for North, North Carolina State, his first preseason camp at Wisconsin after transferring, the fourth down pass to Jeff Duckworth in the fourth quarter of the Big Ten Championship game to keep the Badgers' Rose Bowl hopes alive, the NFC Championship game against San Francisco the previous year, and the fourth and seventh throw to Jermaine Curse for a 35-yard touchdown to take the lead for good, winning the Super Bowl against the Broncos the previous season. My question that would follow were simple. If it doesn't play out how we want it to tomorrow, what would stop it? Russell acknowledged that New England's Bill Belichick makes better in-game adjustments than any coach who's ever lived. We discussed what would happen if one of those adjustments stopped the Seahawks' offense. How would Russell react mentally? How would he adjust? We agreed that while schematic tweaks were fine, Russell couldn't stray away from the core fundamentals that helped him lead his team to the Super Bowl. No matter what genius moves Belichick made, Russell needed to remember the keys that had lived on his locker in Seattle for the entirety of that season. Great fundamentals, great balance, be engaged. If it plays out exactly as you see it, why would it? Why would it? How would you influence that? We discussed starting fast and finishing faster. This wasn't because of the extremely slow start in the previous game against the Packers. Russell happens to be better when he starts fast. The comeback against the Packers had been thrilling, but that wasn't his typical game. His answers to my questions were clear. They were neutral. I need to execute, to stay engaged, to keep us calm. That's who you've been your whole life, Harrison said. Russell kept going. I need to show my trust in everyone, to trust my reads, to trust my teammates. It will get chaotic, good and bad. Tom Brady will make plays. I need to keep things steady. I will keep things steady. I've seen it. I know it. And I am built for this. Russell doesn't speak in ifs when it comes to his performance. He speaks in eyes. I do this versus if I do this. Why? He knows the impact of his own language on him and on others. If implies a choice. He knows there are no choices for leaders in big moments. If gives you your brain an out. I makes a commitment. That evening wasn't about showcasing Russell's previous successes as much as his ability over his entire career to affect the teams he'd played on and their capacity to win. Years early, he had gotten on the phone the night before the national championship games as I had similar meetings with Alabama quarterback A.J. McCarron and Florida State uh, Jameis Winston. Russell helped reinforce neutral mindsets that would allow A.J. and Jameson to execute their roles as pieces of their own team's puzzle as they played in the biggest games of their lives. Advice from the type of guy Teddy Roosevelt called the man in the arena carries a lot of weight to to the men about to enter the arena. Russell's counsel helped A.J. and Jameson stay neutral, and the fact that advice worked for those two only reinforced the concept for Russell. We didn't need to call in for extra advice for Russell that night in Arizona. He had a great game plan and a great mental plan. He was ready. 
Twenty hours later, Solich and I took our seats next to baseball major leaguer and former Notre Dame wide receiver Jeff Sermarzi and his wife. The atmosphere was like the biggest SEC games, which tend to be much wilder than NFL games. Seattle's 12th man had grown into a pro version of a college fan base. Russ was dialed in amid the pregame chaos. There wasn't a dropped ball in the pregame routine. He was surgical. After warm-ups, the Seahawks went back into the locker room. They re-emerged with the Verge's bittersweet symphony blasting. Russell jogged onto the field with that unique blend of inner peace and urgency. He had it before I ever met him. People may be surprised that he works to make it even more world-class, but that's the standard and the price of sustained excellence. The Seahawks took a 24-14 lead into the fourth quarter, but when a team has Tom Brady, that team always has a chance. The Patriots scored two touchdowns to go up 28-24, and suddenly Russell had two minutes and two seconds to lead a game-winning drive. In this moment, the Seattle sidelines stayed calm. The Seahawks were a fourth-quarter team, a clutch organization. They'd shown in these moments. Paul Allen was Paul Allen. The team owner had created an incredibly high standard with Microsoft as the company's co-founder with Bill Gates, and with the Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll is a winner, and his team reflects this. I'd been around that program enough to see it. They were a collection of winners, and more important, a group organized around great behaviors. After all, winners only winners win only when they behave like people who win. Russell exemplified this. Whether they were facing Jacksonville in a regular season game or New England in the Super Bowl, this team knew how to finish. These guys were closers. It amazes people to see how calm Russell is in these moments. He lives for this. This is when he demonstrates the difference between saying I and if. I am built for this was on his mind the evening before. And now the moment was here. How many people were watching? There were 70,000 in the stadium. Television audience was the largest in American history. Forget that final episode of MASH. This game averaged 114 million viewers. When Russell took his final snap of the game, the audience had peaked at 120 million viewers. More than one out of every three humans in the country watched Russell's last play. As Russell led the Seahawks towards the goal line, the crowd inside the stadium reached absolute frenzy. I couldn't hear anything Solage was saying, and she was inches away from me. But I knew Russell could thrive in this kind of chaos. When I worked at IMG, we tested him on, de- on a device that acted like a souped-up version of the Simon game we played as kids. Colors would flash all around him. He was allowed to hit only the keys that flashed green. His mind focused on green, and that's where his hands would follow. Russell understood a critical fundamental, the law of substitution. At any given moment, our minds can sustain only thought at only one thought at a time. One. The thousands of words flying through our brains or screams from outside crowds at, at riot levels can overcome that truth. It's universal. My mind doesn't block things out. It simply goes to wherever thought I ask it to go to. My inner voice is the loudest. If I don't use it strategically, however... Then the words of others or the outside chaos can replace any message to myself. My own words influence me ten times as much as anyone else's. Russell uses that power. We all can. His words in a moment like that. He had stated them the evening before. 
They're, they live on his locker, on his phone. Great fundamentals, great balance, be engaged. Also, trust. In these moments, you go with what you know. You go to the truth. He knew his job was to be steady, and he took the field for the last drive. That's exactly what he was. Russell hit Marshawn beast mode Lynch down the left sideline for a 31-yard gain on the first play of the drive. The Seahawks were already in New England territory. A few plays later, Russ would throw a 33-yard pass to Jermaine Kearse to get the Seahawks to the Patriots' five-yard line with one minute six remaining. After a timeout, Russ handed off to Lynch, who bullied his way to the one-yard line. Why did they call Lynch beast mode? Because when Lynch entered this mode, tacklers bounced off him. It would take half the defense to bring him down. So, as the Seahawks face second and goal at the one to win the Super Bowl, the thousands in the stadium and all those millions watching at home thought the same thought. They're going to give it to beast mode. If he can't get that yard, they'll give it to him again. With three chances from three feet, why would they need to do anything else? The, Seattle, the Seahawks let the clock drain. If they scored, they didn't want to give Brady any time for a miracle. During that time, the next play came in from offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. They weren't going to give the ball to beast mode. Russell was going to throw it. Remember how I said everyone thought Seattle would give it to beast mode? My numbers might have been a little off. There may have been three people who thought the Seahawks would try something different. Patriots coach Bill Belichick, Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia, and Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler. When Russell took the snap, with 26 seconds remaining, Butler broke immediately towards receiver Ricardo Lockett. Had Butler hesitated for a split second, Lockett would have caught Russ's pass and the Seahawks would have won the Super Bowl. Instead, Butler arrived just before the ball did. He snatched it as he bounced off Lockett, then he fell forward as the rest of the Patriots celebrated. They had just clinched a Super Bowl win, and Russell had just thrown the pass that lost the Super Bowl with the largest television audience in American history watching and judging. And many of those millions were merciless. They blamed Bevel for calling the play. They blamed Carroll for not overruling Bevel and calling for a handoff. But most of all, they blamed Russ for throwing the pick. Three years later, Russell and I would go over the play and its aftermath with former Oklahoma State quarterback Mason Rudolph for our ESPN show QB2QB. Right here in the, this moment, you realize that if you're going to go for something, you're going to have to have some heartbreak, Russell told Rudolph as the interception played out on a nearby wall. But if you're not willing to go there, you're never going to get there. In other words, you have to be willing to be the GOAT. The old negative meaning of the word my generation grew up with. If you ever want a chance to be the GOAT, what younger generations call the greatest of all time. Minutes after throwing the interception, Russell had to face the cameras and explain what the hell happened. As he walked to the press conference, he thought over what he would say, how he would frame this moment. Even now, less than half an hour after an enormous public professional failure, Russell stayed neutral. Our team, everybody, we fought all season just to be able to accomplish a tremendous goal. Russell recalled thinking during the walk, the one thing I've always realized in this, whether it's me holding up the trophy or not being able to hold up the trophy, either way, I wasn't ever going to let that define my career.
Some of us remember the brutal press conference Carolina Panthers coach uh, quarterback Cam Newton gave after losing Super Bowl, I'm not sure what that is, to the Broncos. His answers were short and clipped. After a few tense terse responses, he just walked away. Later, Newton admitted in an interview with Ebony that he could have handled the situation better. Who is anyone to tell me, man, it's just an interview. You haven't been in that situation. Newton told the magazine, you didn't have millions of people watching you. Your heart wasn't pumping with the embarrassment or the anxiety of the stress of dealing with that type of game. I just wasn't ready to talk. Was I mad? Hell yeah. But there could have been a better way to control it. And that's why I think having more time would have helped. Russell had the same amount of time a year earlier. His loss had come on a gut punch on the final play, not as the result of getting battered for an entire game. He had been in an arguably tougher situation and had answered every question. Russell told Mason and me about how losing his father would always be harder than losing any game. I'll never forget the moment he passed away, Russell told us as he explained his mindset during the press conference. The hardest moment of my life, hands down, when he passed away, I said this to myself. The sun's still going to come up in the morning. Then Russell explained how he could have learned something from the loss. You keep your head up, he said. I've never, I'm never down. I can never be down. I'm grateful for the opportunities that I get. You have to take things like a man. You have to take things with strength and understanding. And even though it's not easy to understand in the moment, you have to know that there's going to be clarity someday. There's going to be clarity and understanding. This comparison is not meant to disparage Cam Newton. It's meant to show the difference between negative and neutral thinking. Having to explain to a bunch of strangers why you just lost a Super Bowl is an incredibly difficult task. Few people are equipped to handle it properly. Russell was because Russell has always known how to stay neutral. That mindset also helped Russell take the correct next step. Because while it's important to make a plan, the best realize that sometimes their first plan gets blown to smithereens and they have to respond by making a new plan. Russell and the Seahawks had a great plan for that Super Bowl. Had they won it, Russell could have used the same plan he'd used the previous offseason. Who could have argued with the results? But Belichick, Brady, and the Patriots had a better plan for that Super Bowl. Now, Russell needed a better offseason plan than the one he had the year before to overcome the mental fallout from the game, from the play, from the avalanche that followed. At 6 a.m., 10 days after the Super Bowl, a text message from Russell popped up on my phone. It's time to hit the reset button. Let's make the best offseason yet. My response? On it. Agreed. It's completely in our control. 24 hours. The best is ahead. RW. I've never viewed myself as a sports psychologist. The best teams and organizations aren't calling anyone often, in my experience. And when they do, they're not looking to start that relationship with me in an office. I had significant doubts about my ability to grow at IMG or Exos in that role, and I wanted to grow. I wanted relevance. I wanted to make money. To do that, I had clear choices. I would develop additional skills and take more important positions that would include overseeing all training at IMG and later running the professional sports business of Exos, the unquestioned best professional sports training facilities in the world. To do this, I learned every element of training and how the pieces came together. 
I began building behavior platforms with many of the best brands and experts to launch young pros and keep the best ones on top. Body, mind, recovery, social skills, media, and humanity. It all mattered. Nick Boletari gave me a front row seat to the best of the best at 26 years old. I sat in on meetings with or about Serena Williams, uh, Maria Sharapova, Eli Manning, Tony Romo, Josie Altidore, U.S. Soccer, and growing the academy business as a whole. I was surrounded by the best agents, the best federations, dynamic families, and the best experts across IMG's incredible platform. Seven years in, Boletari and the others had given me the keys to oversee all the athletic development at the world's toughest playground. No mental coach had been given this opportunity before. It was a year into my marriage and my new profession, professional focus probably got my personal relationship handed down the wrong road. I hate knowing the reality now, but I love the opportunity I was given. I took it. This is what I was built for. People are surprised to find out that I'm not a sports fan. I'm a fan of growth. I believe in people. Wherever the journey starts for them, I can see what they will become when weaponized with the right behaviors. I see it in 11-year-olds. I see it in 60-year-olds. I see it in the football complex at Alabama. I saw it with the, my first under-18 girls club team, and all of them would get my best. It can, all can be trained. Everything. Every single thing can improve. We aren't meant to be stagnant. I help develop people. In that, I developed myself so I could become the top guy doing it. Russell knew that. I had earned that right for him to ask me to help develop this plan. And it would be both my privilege and my responsibility to take this incredible aptitude and put it my best daily situations to make the next moment. The off-season follow, following the play. Elite so... The off-season following the play. Elite so his next season could be epic. The past is the past. Russ knew that. People aren't defined by the past unless they choose to live there. He didn't. Neither did I. The people of Seattle, however, did. They couldn't help it. They loved their team and their hearts were broken. Even if they meant well... Daily reminders of that interception weren't going to help. So we needed to get the heck out of there. That's where Russell and I started developing the next plan. We had identified the goal, conduct an off-season program so great that Russell would come back better than the quarterback who had just led the team to consecutive Super Bowls. Now we needed to build the next steps that would help Russell be that quarterback and re reported to the Seahawks organizational team activities, OTAs, in April. We realized atmosphere matters more than most people realize. I explained why Russell couldn't stay in Seattle, but where could he go? The previous summer, Russ and his manager had anchored down in Manhattan Beach. That was a different situation, however. Then he had just won the Super Bowl. His on-the-field success was at an all-time high. Endorsements, national television. The world had seen what I saw in the first 10 minutes after we met in 2012. But along with all the excitement... He had been dealing with a life challenge, the end of his marriage. That off-season was built to manage everything that came with that as well as with the on-field success. It was focused on getting back to another Super Bowl, which is exactly what the Seahawks did. This off-season would be about getting back to the basics that had provided the foundation for those two Super Bowl trips. Manhattan Beach is wonderful. I wanted somewhere where the sun shone in blue skies nearly every day. Weather affects mood, and we needed to re reset our mood.
No dreary skies for us. Manhattan Beach fit the bill, but it's also a hive of activity. We wanted sunny and boring because Russell needed to focus on the task at hand. Manhattan Beach is just too interesting. So I looked two count counties south. I thought San Diego would be the right place because of the volume of blue sky days, the weather, the serenity, a great collection of top flight training centers. We had an NFL quarterback who needed to work out, after all, and easy access to L.A. Within 36 hours, 12 hours too long for Russell, we had rented a 3,000-square-foot home in a very quiet suburb of San Diego. 13 days after the Super Bowl, and he was already on the ne- to the next season. Solich flew to the final to finalize the interior of the house, and we snuck up to La Costa in Carlsbad for a night. Only Russell would pick a community where the average age is 70, she said. The first arrivals in San Diego were Prince and Naomi, Russell's two beloved Great Danes. Russell's bags followed. Russell himself would be coming down later that day. In four hours, we secured a fence for the dogs, loaded the house with food, got bags to Russell's room, set up a massage center and a guest room, uh, prepped the pool for Russell's stretch and cool-downs later that night. Do these tacks sound menial given my top job title? For years, people would tell me, former partner Chad Bowling and me, that's not your job, bro. We always knew the reality. Getting shit done is the job. Wherever it took. Whatever it took. Both of us could get anything done, anywhere, anytime. As the private airport gates opened, I drove the sun. I, I drove towards the sunset. The plane was dead center of the intimate facility. It felt like a scene from Top Gun. Russ walked off the plane. Love you, bro. He said, "Thanks for doing this." Wouldn't miss it, R.W. I said, "The best is ahead." The best is ahead. He replied. The journey forward had begun. It had really begun with his post-game press conference 13 days earlier. Choice? There are no choices as to how a leader handles a moment like that if he wants to move himself and his team forward. Pete Carroll says it's his fault. I said, do you agree? I put the blame on me, Russell said. The ball was in my hands. I threw it. That was the mental part, owning it. He'd held the trophy the year before. He'd shoulder the other side of it now. Derek Jeter, Russell's favorite athlete, said that Russell was now living. To be able to hit the game-winning home run, you have to be willing to strike out in the same batter's box. That translates to football pretty easily. To have a chance to throw the touchdown pass that wins the Super Bowl, you have to be willing to throw the interception that loses the Super Bowl. Those two things live in the same moment. With the atmosphere covered, we moved on to the next pieces of the plan. Russell had a specific physical objective. He wanted to get faster. The next morning, we visited some of the best facilities in California. Together, we would decide who would be trusted to help him achieve his goal to run a 4-4 in the 40, to not be caught by anyone. That was his mission. This part of the plan would be built around that. Confidence is the belief that you can do whatever is demanded. This is why I've never bought into the idea that the mind is anything more than 5-10% to of the equation. I spent as much time overseeing all elements of training at IMG as I did working in the psychological space. And it is clear to me that if you don't have the psychology and skill set to achieve something, no matter of no ma- amount of will can overcome that. But small percentage makes a world of difference. When you're elite, you need to be holistic. You need to have a plan for everything. You need to train it all. 
Russell's success in 2015 would have a mental component, of course, and we had a strong plan for that. His confidence, however, would be built on his physical preparation. That would be driven by commitment, strategy, and the right process. Ryan Flattery, who now serves as Nike's VP of Performance, would earn Russell's trust to help him guide through the process, and Ryan was perfect. His facility was filled with top-level athletes, Arizona Cardinals quarterback Carson Palmer, future second overall NFL pick Marcus Mariota, Olympians, um, you name it. Ryan passed the eye test. You don't get the athletes by accident. But several trainers in California had that. What separated Ryan out in Russell's mind was that he had elite intelligence and a great sense of humor. In advance of the meeting, he had studied Russell's movement patterns and stride mechanics and had them clearly mapped out on the flat screen in his office. He explained how a path existed to where Russ wanted to go and the commitment from Russ that would be required. Ryan, it turned out, also had a plan. He and Russell each understood that commitment goes two ways. Both were in. There is a significant difference between wanting a great offseason and committing to one. One of the true challenges of choosing sports as a career is the psychological requirements to function. Your job, in many cases, is far more body than mind. Your mind may steer the ship, but the ship still needs to be built for rough seas. No Boston Whaler survived in the NBA, NFL, or MLB. It takes a battleship. I've worked in all those leagues as a strategic consultant in mental conditioning, and in all those years around some of the very best sports and coaches and athletes, a few things came clear. It's what you do, not how you feel, that gets things done. We can do our, we can do our way into feeling the way we need to. It's hard to feel our way into achieving a damn thing. We all want things, and there's value to that. Want is a precursor to motivation, but want is an idea. Commitment is execution. Over the course of this journey, there would be times when I swear I could see Russell replaying the play in his head. I never knew for sure, and he'd never talked about it. He wouldn't give in to that power. He had analyzed the decision after the game in film study with the Seahawks teammates. He gave it the appropriate attention. Then he moved forward in the offseason. Words good or bad, would give the pass a necessary influence. He was educated in the area well before experiencing Super Bowl success and Super Bowl heartbreak. That education was a weapon for him. It helped him manage success because he knows how to sustain it and adversity because he knows how to move past it. As the off-season started, I usually arrived at Russell's house early in the morning. The uplifting sound of Hillsongs United, a Christian rock band from Australia that specialized in beautiful harmonies, always filled the house. I learned that Russell's music is an important part of how he sets his tone. The chords were me melodic, the message were, pe was, were pow powerful, and it was all intentional. I'd later integrate that what worked for Russ into my own life, the same music with the same goals. That offseason, Ryan Flattery would introduce Russell to chef Andre Witten, a great part of the team who would become his full-time nutrition and food guru. She'd have prepared meals available or would cook for Russell, his manager, and myself. My videographer, John Schultz, a young Spielberg, found literally every fourth quarter comeback in Russell's career going back to high school, and there were a lot of them. Each morning, we'd queue up a comeback from a designated game at various times in his life. Every play would include a predetermined music with TV audio as Russ would lead his team back. 
this is what I know. If you are what you do, then when you don't, you aren't. I wanted to remind Russell of his historic precedent, who he was based on, what he had done, as a means of reminding him that he could and would do next. My dad called this imprinting. In 1980, he'd have NASA leaders, IBM executives, educators, and athletes uh, write down specific memories of strong performances on note cards, put a plan in place to review and relive them. He understood that words triggered pictures, which impact emotions, which lead to performances. He teach me this process is flick back, flick up. Flick back to a past moment and then flick up and apply that past behavior to a future moment. The latest research says that members of Generation Y, the population I primarily work with, prefer to learn visually. I had three fully focused staff members who had taken imprinting to the next level. Many people, in my opinion and experience, have evolved into visual learners regardless of their age. Technology has reconditioned us this way. Strong visual stories create the conditions for powerful follow-up and dialogue or discussion. The best way to educate is to combine learning with fundamental entertainment to edutain. The athletic world's truth is not about making the presenter look and seem intelligent. It's about making information consumable, relevant, and immediately applicable. The audience I was with, Russell, embraced this kind of stimulus, so... We bypassed the writing phase and went right to the picture, the memory, the emotion, the behavior, and then discussed it, connection to the next moment. That was the psychological breakfast that accompanied the chef's protein-based one. Both would have value in Russell in the training cycle. He knew it, so it became part of his process. The truth had the ability to outweigh any external narrative. The truth was that Russell Wilson was one of the best quarterbacks in football, win or lose. He wasn't defined by one event. He and the Seahawks had made a plan for the Super Bowl, but some of the greatest to ever play and coach had made a better plan. So Russell had to make a better off-season plan. As of this writing, Russell hasn't made it back to the Super Bowl. Reaching the Super Bowl is an enormous challenge and not something you do alone. Ask Dan Marino, Warren Moon, or Dan Fouts. But Russell did have his best statistical season in 2015. He threw a career-high 34 touchdown passes and averaged a career-high 8.3 yards in attempt. It was almost as if he'd planned it.